We get more evidence of some weird education happening inside of a local school district in South Carolina. Language experts say a new language is beginning to form. It's called TikTok. Three U.S. servicemen are killed over the weekend, and we analyze what the Biden administration was up to over the weekend as that was transpiring. All today on the Palmetto Family Matters Show. Welcome in. Busy Monday ahead for you. It is the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. This one? The Palmetto Family Matters show. Justin Hall, Mitch Prosser's here today. <laughs> Surprise. On the program. It is Monday, January 29th, in the year of our Lord, 2024. Ding, ding. Today's show is brought to you by I Believe SC. I Believe SC.net, where you can go today to get your I Believe SC license plate. Visit them today. I Believe SC. Net. Now, you might remember uh, several months ago, we talked about a Chapin High School English teacher, uh, Mary Wood, who was, um, quote, targeted by activists who want to censor what books are in libraries and what discussions happen in the classroom. She's an English teacher at Chapin High School. Uh, she was um, she had assigned Tanahisi Coates's "Between the World and Me," uh, a book about the Black experience in the United States. Students complained that this book was overly racist uh, towards white people, making them feel ashamed. Say that again. Who complained? Students. Okay. I just. I, okay. Students complained because we're going to weave that back in here in just a minute. Yes. Students okay. complained. Okay. Okay. And not then, adults, then, not parents. Students complained, and then students and parents complained. Not because ridiculous. Some students, yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. Students complained. And so then, of course, we have this whole thing where this teacher has conversations with the ACLU and la-di-da-di-da. She Fun goes times. on the Mehdi Hassan show on MSNBC. That's before Mehdi was uh, let go. And so now we have this clip surfacing from a recent school board meeting. Uh, this is a Chapin High School student again, and I don't know her name off the bat. I don't even remember if she says it in the clip. Um, but when you give a when you give remarks at a school board meeting, it is public remarks, and therefore they are available on libs of TikTok. Yes. Okay. Here's the student describing why she believes her teachers know what's best for her. And not her stupid conservative Christian parents. Hegemonic dad. I'm a student at Chapin High School in my senior year, and I've attended schools in the Chapin Cluster since kindergarten. This is the first District 5 board meeting I've attended, though I did watch the public participation portion of the meeting that took place on January 8th. I was inspired to come and speak today by my English teachers. In my high school years, I have come to know most of the teachers in the department and found that they are a brilliant and kind group of people who truly do act in the interest of every student. I hold the utmost respect for them, and they have taught me, as they have taught me so much in academics, extracurriculars, and lifelong ethics. I'm incapable of fully understanding the stress and responsibility felt by teachers, parents, and the members of this board. I have no years of experience being an educator. I have no college degree. I'm not a parent. I'm barely even an adult. I'm just a high school student. I'm here to make a point about the dangerous consequences of book banning in public education, but I first want to share some of my background so that you may get an idea of why this is so important to me. I'm fortunate to have both my parents present and involved in my everyday life. They support me, care for me, and I live a comfortable life. I love both of my parents dearly, but tonight I would like to focus on my father and the concomitantly detrimental effect he has had on my life. He is a conservative, a Republican, and a Christian. 
For as long as I can remember, he has instilled his political and religious values in me. As a child who unquestioningly admired her father, I took him at his word, and his one-sided, bigoted beliefs became ingrained in my identity. When the topic of the 2016 presidential election arose at the fourth grade lunch table, I would recite the arguments my father made in favor of Trump. I ignorantly endorsed a man who would have me suffer and even die in the name of political agendas. At 10 years old, I had no one exposing me to diverse political perspectives. One might argue that a fourth grade classroom is a fourth grade classroom is not the place for political discussions, and if one is to arise, the teacher should extricate themselves from the situation and dismiss the, in the topic entirely. If the classroom is not the place for such, such discussions, then where? The home? My parents failed me in that area of education, and I can assure you that mine were not the only ones. If fourth grade students are old enough to hold conversations about politics and current events themselves, then they are old enough to hear debates that represent both sides and incorporate a variety of viewpoints. I have since needed to reconsider where I stand. When the Democrats, who had previously been demonized, held in, just, in unjustifiable condemnation and immediately dismissed, actually aligned with my own morals and reasoning more than Republicans, I found myself at a crossroads. I could either continue in my father's doctrine that required me to blindly and to follow blindly and ignore irrefutable, irrefutable truths and the principles of democracy or to pursue my own knowledge and form my own opinions. This I could not do without the support of my teachers. They have encouraged me to conduct my own research about the politicians from both parties who have the power to dictate my life. They did this without interjecting their own opinions or political affiliations. They have emboldened me to form my own opinions and supported me unconditionally. The English department has changed my life for the better. They are, in my humble opinion, the most qualified people in this room to determine which books are useful and appropriate for classrooms. They are export, experts in how to best use these books, these tools, to provide students with a diverse education with which to, with which to become well-informed, free-thinking citizens. Thank you. Well, that was impressive. Claps all around. Just, just really quick, just... The beeps at the end kind of sound like the start of like the bobsledding event during the... Uh... Winter Olympics, Olympics. So that kind of tripped me up there. Still, thank you for the round of applause. We're talking about that. book banning again. Again, let me just make one thing abundantly clear. Do it, Justin. No books are being banned. You can still go buy the book. Did she? Did she dance around the frame? Did well, she, she took the frame and she shrunk it because did, let's let's. I wrote down some key facts here. She said that her parents were loving, caring nurturing she's grown up in an environment where she's always been cared for and has never wanted for anything comfortable comfortable but and then it takes a left turn but literally but her dad now she doesn't mention mom she doesn't mention mom i'll get to that in a second dad is a conservative republican christian who has done some sort of psychological this young lady's white so i assume harm. her father is white unless she's adopted possible but because of that, he indoctrinated her from an early age mm. of his worldview. Let me explain something to you. That's, that's called parenting. I was say, that's the responsibility and prerogative of parents. That's called parenting. Like, not, listen, listen, listen. My child will be here within the next 90 days. It, it, my role, my job as a father is to make sure that my child understands how the world works. And, and guess what? That's going to be framed from my worldview. Right. And and you do have the opportunity to challenge that at times, especially when they come to you and ask questions. You know, uh, through the developmental stages, and I'm no child psychologist. I used to play one on TV. <laughs> um, uh, there, there are times there are seasons where a child will come it's usually like uh one to 
38, yep. uh, where they will come and ask questions. They will, they will challenge. They will, they, because there's a, a world of information out there. And sometimes they need help on deciphering right. what is real and what is fake, what is true and what is false. And it is a parent's job not only to teach them what is true, but also what is false. And right. so as we do that, sometimes we introduce other concepts. I do want my three boys to know about some of these things out there. At what age, how we do that. We don't throw them to the wolves or in the deep right. end of a pool. We slowly but surely help them understand that there's a quote unquote, you know, to use a John Mayer line, there's a real world out there and they need to be ready for it. So how we do that from the age of zero to 18 or whatever your magical cutoff is, is extremely important. And this young lady, I don't know if, if, if her parents ever have ever challenged the notion of their belief system with her. I think it's fair to do so. I think that's part of a presuppositional apologetic. So, uh, good, good, good on her for questioning, good on them for giving. I just not quite sure how we got to this point, but but his support of a presidential candidate in 2016, which, by the way, she said she was in fourth grade in 2016. She's sitting at the she table, and Dad's like, old. "We are Trump in this household, and if you're not Trump, but is it get out." But is it possible that he just said, you I know, "I'm that. voting for Donald Trump"? It's because possible. Trump's the Republican nominee, it's and he's a Republican. That she heard. I mean, I mean we had just and and uh, I mean, it was a very polarizing election. Yes, and we just finished eight years of President Obama. I mean, the liberal na- world nation order. at a fever pitch. I mean, the economy is not great. Businesses and jobs are leaving the United States. I mean, just from a very practical standpoint, a lot of people were not just tired. They were fed up, literally fed up with the fed up. So the big thing is the big thing is she said that now. But now I understand that the teachers are most These teachers in this English department, they helped me analyze both sides without interjecting their political beliefs. How do you think she came to that idea? So so dad only interjects his political beliefs, and the teachers don't at all. Nothing but the facts. Nothing but the facts. Straight facts. Just the facts, ma'am. Really? And again, I'm not castigating teachers here. No. But they are political beings just as we all are. They have their own biases. It's built in. And I was in school at one point. And I know I'll, this. You know, beep, beep, beep. You know, for those of you that like dings, I'll just beep, beep, beep. Uh, I'll back the truck up for just a second. As we've said many times on this show, these aren't political leanings. Her dad doesn't have political leaning. Ne- neither do her teachers. These are moral, yeah. ethical yeah. So leanings mean by and beliefs. The, 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 the word politic yeah. um, it does not mean many blood-sucking creatures. Um <laughs> This is just a continuing problem. We're going to continue to monitor this. I just think it's interesting to see where the minds of young people are. And this is this is classic. I grew up in a conservative home. I get lib. I go lib. I go hard lib for about 10 years. And then when I get out of college with my uh, master's degree in lesbian dance theory and I can't get a job. Start paying bills. Then I realize, oh, man, as I pay bills, as I buy groceries, as I have kids, well, maybe not have kids, as I pay health insurance, as I do all these things, I realize, man, it'd be nice to have more money in my pocket. And from a basic, just general economic standpoint, you begin to move more to the right. Those soy lattes don't happens. pay for themselves. Now, let's move to a different phenomenon, and that's TikTok. <laughs> this from the BBC. I think we're descending into madness. The phenomenon of influencer speak predates TikTok, 
But in a media interview last month, Christopher Streluf, an associate professor at the linguist of linguistics at the University of Warwick, suggested that TikTok voice is particularly associated with young women. The way young women use language is the future of the way language evolves. So any changes we hear by young women are probably the language of the future of English. Uh, was I uh, just um, pause? Was Shakespeare a young woman? No. Okay, just checking. Carry on, young man. <laughs> One of the curious elements of this style of TikTok speech or TikTok is um, is that both uptalk and creaky voice are wildly vilified. What we used to call vocal fry. Some people seem to associate uptalk with uncertainty or lack of authority. Like totally? And when I looked up an addition, a definition of vocal fry online, one of the first Google search results from a website told me that, quote, vocal fry is demeaning, condescending, and aloof. It's the perfect vocalization for an unlikable character. Some commenters on a TikTok video that I made about it were also not fans because, quote, vocal fry seems to be getting worse in the U.S. for sure. The rising annotation implies a question or ignorance, says another. There's this, uh, there's this move that in the case of vocal fry, says Streloff, teenage girls in English language-speaking communities might use vocal fry more than other groups of people, but the academic research is mixed. In one small study, people rated female speakers with vocal fry as less attractive and intelligent than female speakers without it. They didn't distinguish between men who spoke with different quote-unquote fries. Another study showed that low vocal fry hurts women's career prospects, and a third found that women with vocal fry were perceived as more neurotic than those without. So, what we have, TikTok has become... The cesspool of culture? Well, and I think I think not. Some people aren't aren't on TikTok. Some people are on Instagram Reels. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah. and I think you, there's some overlapping here because what I will tell you is you can find yourself if you're not careful, you're scrolling for oh, a while. Doom scroll. You're Absolutely. doom scrolling for a while. For me, and it's airplane like jets, airplanes, and uh, my wife and I are on a diet, so so uh, food. Right. Oh yeah. So there's there's just a level to this as we continue to descend into into a bit of you know there are things wildness it, and and i've been a vocal coach at times of my past uh and and with uh public speakers political candidates that sort of thing i as a pastor you put a lot of thought not just into the content that you bring in a message but also the delivery how you say of it. how we say it the purposeful pauses right. that get the elicit a response from the audience the intonation is extremely important. Why is that? Somebody asked. That's a great question. Glad you did. See, there's a call and <laughs> there response. The reason is because when we are talking, people judge everything about not only what what we're saying, right. but how we're saying it. And so it is it is against the basics of human understanding and existence. To say, well, you know, intonation doesn't matter at all. See, an up curve on the end of a phrase or sentence mm -hmm. does imply some sense of mm -hmm. uncertainty. Right. Are we sure? And so this up talk or vocal, vocal fry, which, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I always just assume that vocal fry was that uh, kind of... Mm -hmm. um, uh, loose tingeness at the yeah, end. Yeah, at the end of a sentence. It, okay, some people can't help their voice. That's totally understandable. If you are talking like this intentionally, 
you know, you know, Jordan Peterson is a perfect example of someone that I, his voice and Jordan, if you're listening, I highly doubt it. If we'd love to have you on the show sometime, his voice, whether because of a series of circumstances or just, that's the voice that God gave him Mm -hmm. to me is filled with fry, uh, Robert Kennedy, um, similar. So, and by the way, people pick on them about their voice. Many people have said things about, uh, Bob Kennedy Jr., uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s voice, right? I mean, they, they just have. So it, it, it's not just females. Now, what I will say is this. The left, here we go, the left will stop at nothing to try to pigeonhole people, divide people, and say, listen, you're just picking on them because they're girls. Mm-hmm. Those poor, intersectionally uh they're just disadvantaged girls. Why? Because they're girls. Boy, what a backslap against mm-hmm. females, right? For saying, "Oh, you know, you just have this voice, and it it you, you up talk, and everybody else is just picking on you because you're a girl, right?" That's not no, no. Perhaps consider not just the content of your speech, but the delivery and intonation by which you speak. Sound more certain when you talk. So we'll continue again to monitor that as well <laughs> as we move forward on NPR. Um, to more serious news here just for a second, three U.S. troops were killed in a drone yes. attack in Jordan uh, over the weekend. Over 30 were injured. Uh, on a, It was a small outpost in Jordan. U.S. officials told CNN this and marking the first time that U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since uh, the beginning of the war. While speaking in South Carolina on Sunday, uh, Joe Biden said, we shall respond. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and I noticed some people, they're like, well, obviously he's not going to say how we're going to do it. No, you shouldn't. We, we shall respond. Maybe he was the, having a... The killing of three Americans at Tower 22 in Jordan near the border with Syria is a significant escalation. Uh, U.S. Central Command confirmed in a statement Sunday that three members were killed 34 injured in a one-way drone attack that impacted the base uh, northeast of Jordan. The number wounded is continued to uh, expected to continue to rise as service members seek treatment for symptoms consistent with traumatic brain injury. Um, mm. uh, President Biden vowed on Sunday to hold those responsible for the attack to account, saying that while the facts are still being gathered, we know it was carried out by a radical Iran-backed mil- militant group operating in Syria and Iraq. Iran on Sunday denied having any involvement in the attack, <laughs> said the uh, Iranian news agency. Okay, there are uh, only so many people that have drones capable of delivering such a strike. Right, uh, Tehran's denial comes after the Islamic resistance in Iraq, an umbrella group of a number of Iran-backed militias in the country, said in a statement Sunday it attacked a number of targets along the Jordan-Syria border, and the camp is in close proximity to the U.S. Uh, outpost tower. 22 again when we're talking about this situation um in in the middle east what we have here uh and it's and and again i want to make sure we get this correct so you have israel israel again israel is a sovereign nation running along the mediterranean sea there's a carve out in the southwest side that is gaza Mm -hmm. there's also a carve out on the eastern side Uh, the West Bank, and Israel running north runs up to Lebanon. Lebanon borders Israel on the north. Jordan borders Israel 
on the east. The river. Syria borders Israel on the northeast to the east of Lebanon. Tower 22 in Jordan is literally sitting on the border of Jordan and Syria. So what you have here is you have Iranian militant groups that are backed by Iran operating in Lebanon, Hezbollah, operating in Gaza, Hamas, and now we're seeing them deployed from Iraq and Syria from the east. The understanding would be because Iraq is sitting to the east of Jordan, and it's kind of in that little triangle. This is an escalation. By the way, Hamas is still firing rockets into Tel Aviv as of this morning. Highly densely populated Most, areas. Mostly, I don't, I don't hear mostly about. peaceful rockets. Though, mostly right? peaceful rockets that aren't really intended for the civilians, apparently. Do they have, like, cookies? and? Right. It's, it's, it's an uptick. It's an uptick. What we're seeing, what we're seeing in the Middle East is significant. I mean, this is a this is your classic powder keg situation. It's your classic powder keg situation. I'm just glad we have calm, steady hands. The, the fuse wheel. has been lit. The fuse has been lit. How far does it go before it reach reaches the dynamite and goes kaboom? Well, it depends on how long the fuse is, if and, we can cut the fuse. You know. And three service members being killed over the weekend uh, tends to shorten my fuse. Yeah. So our prayers go out to the the family members of those three uh, who lost their lives and the family members of those of the other 30-plus yeah. who were injured and who were probably dealing with a lot this morning and dealing with a lot on this Monday. So our prayers are, are with you Um in, in a in a very difficult time. And not to divert attention from that situation happening, not only um, with Israel, but also now with American service members dying in the Middle East. But the recent election in Taiwan has ratcheted up tension and pressure between the mainline, mainland mm-hmm. of China, um, the CCP, yep. and the newly elected president of Taiwan over the weekend – um, starting actually late last week, um, China has begun filling the strait between the mainland and tai- Taiwan with uh, many types of boats. Many yes. types of boats. That's yes. what I'll say about that. We move on. As that was happening over the weekend, I want to let you know that there's a few uh, a few interesting things uh, going on in the Biden administration again. Now the key here is do how where do we differentiate the administration from the campaign? My argument is the administration is the campaign. You can hide behind the Hatch Act all you want. The administration is the campaign. They they walk across the street when they make the campaign phone calls, right? Correct. <clears throat> Correct. President Biden leaves the Oval Office yeah, when totally. it's a campaign totally. He doesn't fly on Air Force One. Um well it's in his prerogative to fly on Air Force One to campaign events. It's fine. And, and full disclosure, Trump did the same. Yeah, it's fine. I'm totally no, cool with it. Naturally, Barack Obama did the same. Reagan did. W. Clinton. I did not. Well, he, yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe he should have conducted some business outside of the Oval. Uh, Mayor Pete. Let's start with Mayor Pete. Oh, dear. He was at a roundtable um, where he described how the roundtable is racist. Anyway, here's Mayor Pete showing a bit of shock and awe. Uh, about the outrage surrounding his highway comments uh, from a few months ago. You mean that interstates are racist? I'm shocked by how controversial it was when I made reference to the simple fact that a lot of black neighborhoods got wiped out by the way highways were built. And I didn't bring that up because I want everybody to feel bad about it. I brought it up because we can do something about it, because we have funding to do something about it with. 
I mean, the Hill District right here in Pittsburgh is one of thousands of examples around the country. I was shocked when people made fun of me for saying that highways were racist. And he goes on further. It's not just the highways we need to work on, bridges as well. Sorry, can I get a little bit more of a gloss on your work? I'm just interested to know what it means to examine equity and bridge maintenance. Uh, Looking at the communities next to bridges Uh, and comparing that with their condition. So the next uh, task for the Department of Transportation is not dealing with train derailments or wings flying off of planes. It's how bridges meet equity standards. Excellent stuff. Nancy Pelosi was on CNN's State of the Union with Dana Bash over the weekend. Now, recently, he uh, in Virginia, I don't know if it happened in South Carolina, but in Virginia, President Biden was speaking, and some pro-Hamas protesters shouted down him about like 15 times. So Nancy's asked about this. Speaker Emeritus, I'm sorry, Speaker Emerita, Nancy was asked about this. Here's what she had to say and who she believes is really behind the Hamas protests. Do you think some of these protests are Russian plants? I don't think they're plants. I think some financing should be investigated. And I want to ask the the, uh, FBI to investigate that. That's right. The Hamas protesters are being financed by Russia. To do what? Ah, ah, hold on. Hamas protesters financed by Russia because Trump is telling them to finance them so it makes Biden look bad. Circle gets the square. I'm, I'm sorry. Do you want me to keep going? There's more. I can keep going. AOC was on Meet the Press, and she was asked whether she supports President Biden in 2024. Do you think President Biden is the strongest person to take on former President Trump, given everything you've just said, Congresswoman? I think what we have right now, what we've seen in New Hampshire, he is virtually the nominee of the party. It's not really a glowing endorsement. Again, Joe Biden's going to have to really, really tabulate how he's going to want to handle the left wing of his party. She continues uh, a little bit later on the same program. Here's the question from Kristen Welker. Has the Biden campaign reached out to you and said, we want you to help reelect President Biden? How do you see your role and the role of progressives in this reelection effort? I see my role uh, overall as as really trying to expand the power of movements. Have they reached the out United to you, States of America and people's? We've been in contact with the we've we've uh, been in contact with the Biden administration throughout my uh, throughout my term and throughout uh, throughout his term as well. Um, and I know that he has been in contact, you know, uh, uh, with many members of Congress. But, you know, I think what is most important is that and in terms of my role, I think my role is in allegiance to people's movements across this country. Talk about close encounters of the third kind. So my are role we, is are, not. Are we doing contact tracing on this? My role is not to support the president. My role is to support the movement that Black Lives Matter. Wait, no, no. The Hamas caucus. The Hamas caucus. AOC. My role. AOC matters, buddy. My role is to make sure that the UNRWA stays afloat, says AOC. Can you fit a few more uh, um, letters into that? Yeah, please. The alphabet suit. Then then Kamala Harris, wearing a gray suit, was speaking inside of a kitchen 
somewhere. There's an ice cream maker in the pack. But it's wrapped in foil. This is a new restaurant that hasn't been opened yet because that thing is wrapped is, up. Is this here in Columbia? Uh, it's not in Columbia. Okay. She was somewhere else. Here's, here's Kamala Harris. I do believe in a very fundamental principle, and it transcends religions, but it is an age-old concept, and it is the concept of redemption which is the notion and the understanding that all people will make a mistake. And yes, there must be accountability, especially when it involves the commission of a crime, when it involves anything that might hurt another person. Of course, there must be accountability. But is it not the sign of a civil society to allow people the ability to come back and earn their way back? What? I agree with the concept of what she's talking about. She said that redemption is a fundamental principle that transcends religion. Explain that to me. So repeat that? She said, I believe in a fundamental principle, and it ultimately transcends religion, and that principle is redemption. That's what she said. Well, if... if, we, if How we, does redemption oh, transcend yeah, religion? Here we go. Well, redemption leads to relationship, Justin. A relationship with Jesus. I'm sure that's exactly what she was talking but about. But that's not, that's not, that's not that doesn't she... transcend religion. Because aside from your kitschy catchphrase that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, Christianity is, in fact, a religion. I think the concept that she's trying to articulate is is true. I think the way, she, once again, that she articulates it is... She can't articulate anything. Is not, um, yeah. She's, she's, she's not good at this. President Biden was in town over the weekend, uh, speaking at a first in the nation, I don't know, something in South Carolina. It's just really funny. Lately, I get texts from people like, hey, why are there so many state troopers around the airport right now? Why can't I go down this road? And it's like many people usually would know when the president's coming. Typically. Typically. We didn't this time. Here's Jim Clyburn defending Joe Biden. Question mark. And what did he do? He created what we call uh, the little the sort of, um, you know, that act. A lot of people wonder what it's about to repair what was wrong. Has what? Has Joe Biden rubbed off on Jim Clyburn? What was that? What did he say? I'm serious. Was that a health issue? What was that? What happened? Because that made no sense. I don't know what that was. Is he talking about the CHIPS Act? He's talking about the Biden infrastructure plan? Is he talking about the... I don't know. Then, Joe Biden takes to the stage of this event. And here you go. Donald Trump, when he was commander-in-chief... Refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery, outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us just like that? Okay, who, who didn't give the man his applesauce? Who, who turned off Matlock 10 minutes early before Matlock could figure out the case? This is, this is Joe Biden talking about troops of the United States who are buried in France because, you know, of the war. 
but then he says that he was talking about his that Trump was talking about his son. All respect to President Biden and his son and his son's memory. His son didn't die in combat. His son died of brain cancer. Yeah. Hey, that's that's the truth. Come on. And why does this man insist on yelling all the time? Well, he's angry. Ah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's not going to win you a presidency. Then he goes to a couple of different churches in South Carolina yesterday. He was at one church in in Columbia at another church in West Columbia. Here's the servant. Now, again, I just got to say this. I find it interesting that when certain uh, certain demographics of people discuss politics or cultural issues in church, that's Christian nationalism, and it's dangerous. But when a Democratic president goes to a predominantly African-American church, that's okay. Chant four more years. I have a distinct problem with the hypocrisy. Here's President Biden uh, speaking at the church. And uh, Asia Williams is from here. (laughs) And that woman played basketball. Whoa. That's the only reason I was coming. I thought she was here. (laughs) I'm only joking. I know she's not. I'm getting in trouble with my wife. I keep pulling around. Okay. First of what? all, first of all, it's Asia Wilson, not Williams, not Williams He's or Williams, Serena and yeah. Venus. Uh, the, I bet they play good basketball too. Be careful. Um, yeah, because they'll come beat you up. Asia, Asia, Asia Wilson, probably the love her and her parents, both amazing. Probably people. one of the best athletes to come through the University of South Carolina um, and graduate and graduate. A lot of accomplishments. Um, literally the only person who played basketball at the University of South Carolina who is in the same conversation as her, either men or women, is Alex English. Um, as of right now, uh, this team still leaves a lot of that to be determined. Anyway, just not with it. Thought she'd be here. Thought she'd be here. Uh, there's I'm so many questions a, to be I'm asked trying to make a connection just... with you. I'm trying to, yeah. One more. Here he is. Same oh, church. End of the message uh, where he gives his speech. By the way, he put his speech on top of the open Bible. I got no, anyway, not a problem. Whatever. Here's the end of his speech. Thanks for bringing me home. Oh, y'all think I'm kidding? For the longest time, when I was a young public defender and a United States senator, I went to, if you know, excuse me, AME Church. I apologize. But Reverend Beeman, you brought it all back, Rev. That was actually at the beginning of his speech. Thanks for bringing me home. Thanks for bringing me home. I apologize because I went to an AME church. Obviously, I think that's different than this here black church. Right? So is that different? Is that different? Than we talked about churches? this pre-show in our prep, and I'm just going to go ahead and insert here and call back to third block when we <laughs> talked about American troops being lost overseas. I have a problem, and I've got the transcript from a banquet hosted at a local church here in Columbia. It was not a church service. It was a fundraiser, right? But it was a political event, as noted by the transcript from the White House. And he mentions the three souls lost, mm-hmm. uh, a relatively short speech. He does refer to himself as Joey. I just saw that. That's great. Um, 
But he references the service members that were lost and then regards the audience and encourages them for a moment of silence. Now, if your local school district wants to do away with the invocation before a football game and encourages the crowd to participate in a moment of silence or your school board meeting or um, your county council meeting, and by the way, most county council and school board meetings still have a um, prayer mm-hmm. in them. That's where I'm getting. A church? A church. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand it's a banquet. I'll guarantee you there's a pastor in that room. I would hope. And if so, how crazy, how ridiculous, how normal it would be to say, Pastor, you know, I I find no better thing to do right now for those three families than to pray for them. He doesn't have to pray, but he calls the pastor up, says, would you please pray for these three families? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that. Right. Not even at a public park. Not even at a baseball game. No. He encourages the people mm-hmm. in a church building to observe a moment of silence. Yeah, just... uh just close your eyes. And you know what I have to say about that? Yeah. Notice the observed moment of silence. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, as the race continues on, this week was kind of a quiet weekend for the Republican nomination process, and we're getting a little bit more of that. Obviously, President Trump has to pay a lot of money uh, to E. Jean Carroll. Um <laughs> $83.3 million. Nikki mm. Haley says that's a good thing, and she stands by what the jury decided. Um, but the American people will have to decide if he should be president or not. So we'll continue to monitor all of these three things and a lot more as we move ahead. More to come this week. Obviously, we're monitoring legislation inside the state house. If you want to learn more about Palmetto Family, you can do it. PalmettoFamily.org. Sign up for our email newsletter. Invest in the work that we're doing. Make sure you give us the five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Share it with your friends and family, and we look forward to talking with you on Wednesday on the fastest-growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters Show.